that if Israel is going to survive, they're going to have to take out Hamas. And if Hamas is going to hide in among the civilian population and hide their rocket launchers in neighborhoods and hospitals and schools, that's their fault. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Straight Talk podcast with yours truly, affectionately known as America's Sheriff David Clark. I'm going to have to start this particular episode with a warning label, parental guidance. It's going to be necessary here. If you have little and young ones in the background as you listen to this, you might ask them, you might want to ask them to leave the room because there's going to be a little profanity. I'm saying that up up, up front. I do have great control and discipline over my tongue, but there are some times when I think a little profanity is necessary to get a point across. And, you know, it just, I get sick of some of this stuff that I see and some of the stuff that I read about. And, And you've heard me say that nothing changes in the federal government. Nothing changes. The status quo always prevails. No matter what party or which party, I should say, is in power. In Congress, in the White House, in these federal agencies. And that's what I want to point to right off the bat. Last week, and if you haven't heard, go back and listen to it. And please subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe to the Straight Talk podcast. We need subscribers. It helps with finding sponsors and advertisers. They look at numbers. So the more subscribers, the more they might be interested. But anyway, I talked about the actually in in successive podcasts. First, I talked about how the these federal bureaucracies, these agencies spent $3 billion on furnishing offices. You may recall that. And I made a big deal out of that because that's not one of those stories that that is sexy for the media. That's not one of those stories that you know we get in depth reporting on. You get, you know, some some small entity might write a column on it. It's a one time thing, and that's the end of it. And and you and I sit here and we wonder about the size of this federal government. You wonder why we have a three. It's now up to three thirty four trillion dollar debt. And you wonder how it gets that big and you wonder how it keeps growing because nothing changes in Washington, D.C. Nothing ever changes as it relates to the size of government, the scope of government, the intrusiveness of government, the spending of government, the out-of-control spending of government. And again, I have to emphasize, it doesn't matter what party is in charge. It just doesn't. The status quo prevails in Washington, D.C. And what most people find out when they go to Washington, D.C., what I mean by that is they get elected, is that going there with this grandiose idea of trying to change things is futile. It's futile. For most people that go there that are well-intentioned, when they first get elected, they get to Washington, D.C., and they see the depth and scope of the problems, and they go, I can't fix this. I might as well just get mine, get some money sent back home, get a piece of the pie, and stay in office. And you wonder why nothing changes? 
So last week I talked about this these vacant office buildings. So they spent three billion dollars. I think it was in 2021, furnishing empty buildings. What I mean by empty is there's nobody working there. There's no employees. And then they all want to blame this on all the coronavirus. Ah, work from home. That was two or three years ago, for heaven's sakes. Everybody else came out from under it. It took a while for some of them. The schools are opened. I know it took them a while. The teachers' union fought it. They would have wanted that permanently. You know, virtual classrooms. But businesses opened up. You know, people went back to work. And this work from home thing, it's now a thing. It's a joke. That's not an opinion. I've read the research. Now we have a, a body of research that shows productivity's down with this work from home crap. Companies are, are begging people to come back to work. Some of them are a little more forceful, and I'm glad to see that. Some of these private companies, they're issuing ultimatums. You get your rear end back to work at least for three days of, of, of the week. You know, and they're trying to do it slowly because they understand, and I understand that, you know, it'll it'll cause a a crisis. I mean, people have to, you know, go back to finding childcare and and this. That, I, I get it. So at least though, some of these companies are saying, okay, three three days a week, and they're putting a carrot on a stick. If you want to, if you want to qualify for your bonus this year, you have to be in the office three days a week. Okay, for those that don't want to, they don't get the bonus. You have to make it monetary. And then after that, you got to twist a little more and a little more until you get these people back to work. Why? Why is it important as to where they work? The productivity is off working from home. It's human nature. You don't put in an eight-hour workday working from home. There's no monitor on it. One of my suggestions, ladies and gentlemen, one of my suggestions, put body cams on these people. We do it for police officers. We should tell these federal and state employees, government workers, you want to work from home? We're going to put a body cam on you so we know what you're doing. We can poke in every once in a while, peek in and see what you're doing, how much time you're actually spending. I know some of these computers are set up. Now you got software that can tell how, how much time these employees are logged on. But just because they're logged on doesn't mean they're working. You can log on and go do the laundry. You can log on and go cut the grass. But a body cam that would actually show you, and of course they would go, ape shit. There's one of the times and reasons I said you might want to get the kitties out of the room. They'd go ape shit. They'd talk about violation of my personal this, that, and the other, and my privacy. No, it's not. You're on the clock. And you got a choice now. You don't want a body cam? Get your rear end to the office. So we can watch you and better measure productivity because it's human nature. You got no supervisor standing over you. You aren't going to be as productive as if you did. 
So now we find out all of these, and I talked about it last week. Go back and listen. That's why you should subscribe. I talked about all these this vacant office space and these federal buildings. Well, it's worse than we thought, and that's why I want to start today. I found this article, Ghost Towns. Federal office buildings are 80% vacant, a government audit fine. 80% vacant. The Agricultural Department is one of those agencies. But anyway, the, the Government Accountability Office surveyed two dozen federal agencies. That's only two dozen. You know how many federal agencies there are? I don't, but there's more than a dozen. There's more than 20. There's more than 100. So they only surveyed two dozen, 24 agencies, and found they averaged a roughly 80% vacancy rate during this study period early this year. Not a single agency top 50% used the General Accounting Office reported. Investigators say excess space has been a long-standing challenge. You see what I mean when I said nothing changes? In a year from now, two years from now, this will still be a long-standing challenge. Because nobody wants to take on the status quo. Where's Congress? They'll hold all these other useless hearings. Why don't they have hearings on this to shrink the size? at least shrink the infrastructure size of the federal government by demanding change, cutting these budgets for the, the physical, the capital budget, they call it, for the physical you know, structure, the buildings, and the, you know, the, the, everything that goes on to owning a building. The federal government, and this isn't just in Washington, D.C., ladies and gentlemen. Every state has federal Office buildings. That's how massive, and you wonder how we get to a $34 trillion debt? So it says, but getting agencies to rethink their space is a tough sell. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough sell, isn't it? Because we're talking about the federal government. Nothing changes. Anytime somebody comes there, goes to Washington, D.C., trying to change, they get hammered. They realized early on, I, I, I didn't come here to become public enemy number one in this environment. So it says, for one thing, agency bigwigs say the government will have to spend money to save money. Oh, yeah. The typical government way. We gotta, if we're going to save money, we got to spend money. If you're spending money, how are you saving money? So it says the Agriculture Department, who I mentioned at the onset of this this podcast, told investigators that it is aware of its challenges. Well, if you're aware of them, what the hell are you doing about it? We don't just want you aware. Words matter, ladies and gentlemen. I listen and I read and I read critically and I listen for words and I look for We're aware of it. That's an activity. Oh, yeah, we're aware of it. It's like your house being on fire. Oh, yeah, I'm aware my house is on fire. What are you doing about it? Get the people out of there. Get your kids out. Get your family out of there. Well, we're aware of it. So it says here, but figuring out hybrid office 
a hybrid office where in-person and remote work are both accommodated will require millions of dollars of investment in planning, money the agency doesn't have. See, this is the federal way. This is the government way. It happens at the state level too, but not as much because they got to balance their budgets. Figuring out a hybrid office. What do you mean figuring it out? If you haven't figured it out already, you're incompetent. You should be gone. These people, they just look at this and it's all these words. We're working on it. We're aware of it. We're trying. That's all you get out of these people. So they need more money to save money. And you know what that would mean? A new program. More people would have to be hired. This is how this crap grows. And two years from now, when the GAO would go back in, if they gave them the money, well, you know, we continue to to work on it, but we're having some more problems and we need some more money. This is what happens in Washington, D.C., ladies and gentlemen. And it's why the size of government continues to expand and get more expensive. And I don't hear anybody in Congress trying to get their arms around this. The stuff that would help trim the the, the budget, trim operating expenses, meaning less taxes would be required for this crap. So it says officials also told investigators they worry that the telework boom might be a fading fad, and if they ditch the space, they could be caught in a bind when workers do come rushing back. First of all, the workers aren't looking to come rushing back, number one. And number two, this is an excuse. That's all we excuse is, well, we can't because, you know, they might come working back, and then we ditch the space. Um, Good, ditch the space, and you know what? There's nothing to come back to. We're going to get into that in a minute. That's how you maintain the status quo. Well, we need these this office. Well, we got to furnish this stuff. You know, people got to have a place to sit and, you know, desk to work from, so on and so forth. But they're buying high-end furniture. So another question should come out of this from some member of Congress. Why can't we shrink the size of the federal government? And I had to do some looking up of this. I'm going to ask you a question that I didn't know the answer to either, but I looked it up for you. How many federal employees are there? Federal employees. Answer, 2.9 million federal employees. I had no idea. To put that in perspective, that's larger than the population of 15 states. I looked that up too. 15 states have less than 2.9 million people residing in that state. So the federal government employs more people than the population of 15 states. It begs the question, what the hell are these people doing? Does anybody know? Does anybody care? Are they being supervised effectively? No. Look at answer. I don't even do any research on that. You know they aren't. So why doesn't somebody in Congress ask, what are these people doing? Two point, nearly 3 million federal employees. Can you imagine the costs associated with wages 
and benefits? And you wonder why we can't get our arms around the national debt? And we never will? And you fall for it all the time when some congressperson pokes their head out of their hole and, oh, we have to do something about this uh, this national debt. This is going to hurt our children and our grandchildren. And it's all BS, talking points. Trying to score some political points for the voters. They don't mean it. But I, I, nearly 3 million federal employees. That's staggering when you compare it to the population. It's more than the population of 15 states. 15. We don't need 3 million federal employees. I'm telling you that, and I don't have to do a government accounting office survey and study. We don't need it. And especially if they're working from home, we don't need them. Yeah, sure, if you ask the administrators of these bureaucracies, oh, we need these people. Oh, they're vital. You'll get the same BS. Oh, they're, they're vital to the, the, the American way, and, and they do a lot, and we value our employees. No. Some of the laziest people around are government employees. I didn't say all. I said some of the laziest. You, you know I know that? Because a private company doesn't keep you around. Private industry, they don't keep you around if you're not productive. They can't. If you're not adding to the bottom line, they got to get rid of you. You, know, you, see, you see this all the time in the private sector. They're laying people off continually. They lay people off. Why? Well, there's no work. There's not enough uh, production. There's no demand for their product. They got to lay people. The federal government doesn't lay anybody off. Why not? Because they don't want that in Washington, D.C. And you know what? I would be willing to bet that the majority of these 3 million federal employees vote Democrat. Because the Democrats want to keep them around. It's a voting base for the Democrats. Most, not all, vote Democrat. And the Democrats know that. So anyway, this, this report here from the GAO, it broke uh, the, re- the results down. 24 agencies broken down into four tiers. And they named the tiers. I'm not going to bore you with that. T-I-E-R-S. It should be T-E-A, meaning it should bring tears to your eyes to read this crap. So it says the six agencies that did the best, Commerce, Justice, State, Treasury, and Homeland Security, and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So I read that. I went, well, let's, you know, we got, some are doing pretty good. But then it goes on to say they averaged 36% 36% use, but none top 50% use. So even the ones that are doing okay, 36%? That's underperforming. Start getting rid of that stuff. Those buildings. The upkeep is important. The upkeep alone, and now you're upkeeping empty buildings? And it says most of the two dozen agencies studied by the GAO didn't provide official responses to the report. Because you know what the excuse is going to be, right? It says here, they're working on the issue. There they go again. Remember these words? Working on, we're aware of, we're trying, we're doing the best we can. So they're working on it. This is a, 
the original, the beginning of the article said, a long-standing problem. How long have they been working on it? They only say that when they get asked, hey, what are you guys doing? Someone starts poking around. Well, yeah, we're working on it. What does that mean? We're working on it. So, like I said, this is the kind of story and this is the kind of stuff that doesn't capture the headlines. You know, you don't see the breaking news. 80% of federal office buildings vacant, spending $3 billion on expensive high-priced furniture. That That's not the sexy stuff. But if we're ever going to reduce, and that's the goal, reduce the size of the federal government. Not make these people more productive and make the buildings more. No. Shrink it. Get rid of them. Sell the office space. Or at least lease it out to, to private entities. If you don't want to sell it, lease it. I think you should sell it. And get rid of these damn employees. And by the way, that $3 million does not include the military. Because I know some smart ass will say, wow, you know, that includes our, our military. And, and we, the $3 million does not include the military. It's non military. $3 million. 2.9. Let's round it off. $3 million. I wouldn't mind if, if, if two thirds of the $3 million were our, our military people. I'd say, well, yeah, well, that's a vital service. But it's not, meaning it's not the military. I'll keep you posted on that story, because this is the problem. When and you know we're coming into an election year when when these goofball politicians start coming out of the woodwork looking for votes, and I this and and we did that, and we you need to ask them about what are you doing to shrink the size of the federal government? Well, uh, I don't know if I understand your question, sir. There are 3 million federal employees. Do you know that's more than the population of 15 states? And watch these people. What are they doing? Well, they're providing a vital. No, they're not. Prove it. That's how you have to talk to these people. Because they're expert manipulators. These politicians and these bureaucrats. They know how to talk around issues. So you have to be prepared when you go in and, and you see this stuff and you run into them and you send letters and call you, hey, uh, Mr. Congressman, Mr. Mrs. Senator, do you know how many federal employees, start with that, ask, do you know how many federal employees there are? Watch them start to stammer because they don't know. They have no freaking idea. I didn't either, but I looked it up. After reading these articles, I go, well, let me dig a little, let me peel the layers back a little bit. Let me drill down into this. And the more you drill down, the more crap you find that shouldn't go on. So ask them, you know how many federal employees there are? And, and he's, or she, they're not going to say no. Well, you know, that depends on a number of things. And, that, you know, and all they are is they're stalling, typical stall tactic, because they don't know. And then help them out. There are 2.9 million. Do you know that that is more than the population of 15 states, Mr. and Mrs. Congressperson? And then 
What are these people doing? Well, they provide a vital, you know, how do you know? That's not what the general accounting office is finding out. Do you guys even read these reports? That's how we have to start addressing these damn politicians. Back them into a corner, figuratively. Every time they open their mouth, they're going to hand you some BS or they're going to lie. Well, it's a stall tactic. Well, you know, there's a number of things that go into that. And, you know, this is very complicated. And just stop and go, no, it's not. No, it's not. It's not complicated. You make it complicated because you don't want people to know or to understand. And see, when I make the rounds, and I do a lot of public speaking at GOP groups, the Reagan and Lincoln Day dinners, this is how I address these folks attending the thing here. Here's what's important, folks. Here's what you got to do. And I'll ask, when I take the stage, a keynote speaker, I'll say, where's your congressperson? And they're not here. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Did they send an aide? They all have a staff. Did they send a staffer? And if they did, then I would ask, because I've, I've, I've asked this question, and there are some that show up, and, and I'll address them personally and say, look, this is, uh, directly I should say, this, this isn't personal, but, you know, the hell are you guys doing in Washington? Well, you know, we're, we're doing this, and we're holding hearings, and we're, you know, this. No, that's all busy work. What's the result? Is the debt shrinking? Is the deficit shrinking? Is the border closed? Are our taxes lower? That's the stuff we need these people working on. They don't work on that. Wow. So let's stick in Washington, D.C. for the next issue here. We finally have a Speaker of the House, and I wasn't sweating it. You know what? All this doom and gloom, the sky is falling rhetoric when we didn't have a speaker. You know, the world didn't end. I said it at the time. I said, don't worry. Actually, Congress not being able to work is a benefit to the American people because they just screw things up anyway, and they just spend money. That's all Congress does, ladies and gentlemen. They spend money. Money they don't have. So if nothing could move, Good. And you notice the world, the country didn't come to an end? It's the same with when the government shuts down. The world, the country goes on. Because we really don't need all this crap. This isn't the way it was designed by the founding fathers. So anyway, they got a new speaker. And, and you know, right off the bat, I don't know much about this guy, Mike Johnson. He's from Louisiana. I don't know much about him. However. And I want to kick the tires. I'm not going to fall like we do too often. You know, we fall for this, this, these lemons. But I'm, I'm encouraged by what I'm hearing about Mike Johnson. Because, like I said, first of all, we got to get the right people on the bus. We got to get the wrong people off the bus. We got to get the right people in the right seats, and then we move the bus. In the direction, and we the people say it should go. All these people are the driver. They're the driver. But we tell them where to go. Look, you're driving the bus, Mr. Congressman, Mrs. Senator, Ms. Senator, whatever. 
but we'll tell you where to go, what direction to take it in, how fast to go, so on and so forth. That's how we have to look at this thing. They're just a driver. And we can always get a new driver. So anyway, Mike Johnson was selected by his caucus to be the next speaker. And already the Democrats, which I think is a good sign, have pounced on this guy. The Republicans could have named Mother Teresa Speaker of the House, and the Democrats would have pounced on her. They'd have made her out to be the second coming of Satan, because that's what the Democrats do. And it's old. There's nothing new. It's lame. The same stuff. You know, on abortion, right? Oh, they're going to, Republicans want to force women to use coat hangers for abortion. You know, it's all this crap. So it says here, according to this article, a relative unknown among Democrats before her surprise ascension to the Speaker's rostrum, Mr. Johnson was immediately branded a mega extremist, see? And I don't really care about these names. don't bother me. They just don't. I've been called some of the most vile stuff you could imagine. I fire right back. So I'm not bringing this up because, oh, they're calling us names. Who cares? But because it's the model they use, the Democrats. But if they're saying this about him, that's a good sign. If they didn't want this guy, that's a good sign. The Democrats. So it says here, Mr. Johnson was immediately branded a MAGA extremist who's a threat to abortion. Oh, yeah, that's one of their issues. The LBD alphabet people, public safety funding, and, of course, social security. you got to scare the scenes. This guy's going to take away your social security. So it says the blistering attacks on Mr. Johnson, Louisiana Republican, showcase Democrats' certitude that he's a liability for swing district Republicans and a boon to Democrats to retake the House. Not if the Republicans get their act together in terms of messaging. See, the Democrats, they just drag out these old things. I'm surprised they didn't throw gun control in here. So this from a congressional campaign committee. Republicans have chosen a mega acolyte to push an extreme agenda in the House at the expense of middle class families. Oh, yeah, middle class families. I forgot about them as a constituency. The Democrats don't give a damn about women, blacks, Hispanics, middle-class families. They do not care. Those are pawns in their pursuit of political power. They exploit them and they use them. So anyway, it says here, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, New York Democrat, called Mr. Johnson, who's a constitutional lawyer, an election denier for joining more than 100 other Republican lawmakers in an amicus brief supporting a lawsuit to overturn the 2020 presidential election result in four swing states that Joe Biden won. Joe Biden didn't win those states. That election was stolen. There was too much chicanery going on. Post-election and, and during the election. And they haven't proved it to me that there wasn't. They have to prove to me that Biden won. I don't have to prove that he didn't win. They have to prove to me, and hopefully to you, 
that he did win. And they have not done that. They just keep saying, oh, there's no evidence. Well, you're election denier. Well, no, prove it. Where's the evidence that Biden won? Well, he got more votes. Half those votes were made up. So they're claiming Johnson's an election denier. Well, yeah, whatever. Goes on to say here, National Republican Congressional Committee Chairman Richard Hudson of North Carolina told the Washington Times that the attacks against Mr. Johnson are retreads against former Republican speakers and will not work. That's what I said earlier. Quote, it's a game they tried to play with John Boehner and Paul Ryan. He's going to push granny off the cliff in a wheelchair, Mr. Hutchinson said, referring to the fiscal cliff political ad battle Democrats slammed Republicans with during the 2012 election. See, the problem, ladies and gentlemen, is that the Republicans don't have an effective counter measure, an effective counter message. That's the problem. I don't care what the Democrats say. We need a counter message, an effective one. So it says here, this quote from this guy uh, from the National Republican Congressional Committee chair. I don't think it will be very successful because our candidates and competitive districts are there because they're very strong candidates and they fit their districts very well. So, again, on Mike Johnson, I think it's encouraging. He wears his faith on his sleeve. He seems to stand for something. Let's see if he'll stand strong. I don't know how much of a difference he's really going to make, but if the Democrats don't want him, that's a good sign. All right. Turning the page, the war in Israel and and in Gaza, still brewing. The Israeli defense has started their surge, so to speak, their incursion into Gaza to root out these ugly, murderous, terrorist Hamas. And for retribution, yes, retribution for what they did several weeks ago. Attack civilians directly, not by accident, not, you know, sending a rocket that went off course and, oh, we didn't mean, we we were really trying to take out a, you know, Israeli uh, defense, you know, position, whatever. No, they went right at civilians, broke into homes. Killed over 200 that were attending a music festival. Over 200 at a music festival. Beheading people, killing babies, killing seniors, raping women, and taking hostages. And so what's the reaction from, I think, an alarming amount of people and countries whenever throughout the world? Ah, no big deal. Well, we need peace and calm. Well, we need... This stuff is nauseating. It makes me want to vomit some of the stuff I see, some of the stuff I'm hearing, these these protests, pro-Palatinian protests in the United States after that. So anyway, the UN is involved now. One of the most useless entities in the history of the world, the United Nations. When you look at their original charter and what they were supposed to be, and they're nothing there now. They're, they're nothing more than apologists for rogue nations, a liberal agenda. They've taken up climate change. The United Nations, they've taken up climate change as a major issue. 
So anyway, the General Assembly got together. And here's what they did. The UN General Assembly, this is from The Guardian, has overwhelmingly called for an immediate, durable, and sustainable humanitarian truce between Israel and Hamas and demanded unhindered aid access to the besieged Gaza Strip. Cover your little one's ears, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't asked them to leave the room. Fuck the United Nations. Truce my ass. It's go time now for Israel. It's now or never to weed out these vermin from Hamas and Hezbollah. So this motion before the UN drafted by Jordan is not binding, but carries political weight reflecting the degree to which the U.S. and Israel are isolated internationally. Who gives a damn? Who gives a damn with Jordan or any of these other nations that voted for this uh, resolution? Who gives a damn what they think? And I put out several social media posts on this. Go to my Twitter. That's the one I'm mainly active on. At Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E. And I posted, I, I put up some social media posts on this crap. That, you know, to the extent, I hope Israel's just ignoring this crap. Just go do what you got to do. So this resolution did not name Hamas, which is holding about 220 civilian hostages who were seized during the devastating October 7 attack. They didn't even mention, and you wonder why I dropped the F-bomb on the UN. F them. But oh, they, they condemned the attacks on both sides. What are you talking about? Israel was minding their own damn business when that attack took place on October 7th. So it says the resolution also demands essential supplies be allowed into the Gaza Strip. And humanitarian workers have sustained access. And it calls on Israel to rescind its order for people in Gaza to evacuate the north and move south. And firmly rejects attempts at the forced transfer of the Palestinian, Palestinian civilization, uh, civilian population. Why are they so concerned about the Palestinian civil population? But they didn't give a damn about the Israeli civilian population. You see what I mean? This is Jew hatred, ladies and gentlemen. It's stealth. It's disguised. These people are sympathizers for the PLO and for Hamas and for Hezbollah. They're sympathizers. And now it's coming to the surface. And that's, you know why? Before I misspeak, people take this out of context. Not say it's a good thing. Because we need to know the true intent of these Jew haters. They can't hide it now. I want to know who they are. I want them outed. So it says here, the resolution also stresses the need to urgently establish a mechanism to ensure the protection of the Palestinian civilian population. What about the protection of the Israeli civilian population? They don't mention that. And you wonder why I used or dropped an F-bomb? This incensed me. 
This is pure Jew hatred. So anyway, you know, the UN says, well, we need, you know, safeguard to go in. No, you know what? Israel told these people, they gave them a week. That's enough. Get out. I don't care where you go. How come the neighboring countries, Jordan, Jordan doesn't want these people. Jordan's up there leading this resolution. They don't want these Palestinian residents. Why not? They're brother Arabs. They know it would be a headache. And they know the PLO is garbage. And they don't want them in their country. And neither does Egypt. That's what that's all about. But Israel, you know, they made a declaration of war. They went through their channels to do this. Very organized, very structured. Amassed their military at the Gaza border to attack at a time of their choosing. So two weeks in now, we're starting to see the the Israeli offensive into Gaza. God be with them. They got to root this evil out. This is evil, ladies and gentlemen. Evil personified. Hamas. To do what they did, and this resolution didn't condemn any of that crap? They're talking about a truce? No, there'll be no truth. At least there better not be. It's not my decision. I unambiguously support Israel in anything they do to get rid of this evil. Well, you know, Palestinian citizens might be killed. Civilians might be killed. Yeah, this happens in war. I'm more concerned about Israeli citizens. Civilians. I really, I really am. doesn't make me a bad person. If you want to say it does, well... You know, humanity, no, uh uh-uh, not during war, no. Uh Uh-uh, I'm tired of this crap. No one cares about humanitarian stuff when it comes to attacks on Israel. A truce. So in other words, Hamas went in and killed over 2,000 people, and now we, we need a truce. No, 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 no. So it says here, Sends a message to everyone, enough is enough. This war has to stop. The carnage against our people has to stop, and humanitarian assistance should begin to enter the Gaza Strip. You know who said that? The Palestinian envoy to the UN. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. He's got the nerve to use the word humanitarian. So it says, after pressure from the U.S. and Canada, an attempt to condemn Hamas by name and demand an immediate release of hostages was passed by 88 to 55, but it failed to win the required two-thirds majority. So all of these these 55 nations voted against demanding the immediate release of hostages, but then they're talking out of the other side of their mouth because that's what's happening here, humanitarian. Oh, really? You're not going to call for the release of the Israeli hostages? No, because they're Jews. And you wonder why I use the profanity that I use? Even reading this again gets my blood boiling about these Jew haters, these anti-Semites. So it says, it's the first time the U.N. has come to 
collective view on the Middle East crisis after four attempts to reach a common position on the smaller 15-strong UN Security Council had failed due to the votes being wielded, vetoes, I'm sorry, sorry, being wielded by either Russia or the U.S. Israel Ambassador Jalad Erdman, who had argued that any ceasefire would just give Hamas time to rearm so they can massacre us again, responded angrily to the vote. Good. How come we can't find people in our State Department and in Washington, D.C. and in the White House to talk like this? Today, this Israeli ambassador said, today is the day that will go down in infamy. We have all witnessed that the U.N. no longer holds even one ounce of legitimacy or relevance, he said, telling the assembly, shame on you. Yes. And, And I'll add, fuck you. Earlier in the day, U.S. envoy Linda Thomas-Greenfield described the resolution as outrageous and it gave cover to Hamas. Okay, that's good, you know, but it is it it is what it is from the Biden administration. She said, Hamas has never cared about the genuine needs or concerns or safety of the people it claims to represent. And Hamas has no respect for the rule of law or human life. To them, Palestinian. Palestinian civilians are expendable, she said. That's good stuff, right? That's pretty strong stuff. But then later on, she backs off a little bit. You know, and it's just, that's what you get out of the Biden administration on this. And it's got to be unambiguous. Unambiguous. No, we support Israel going all the way. And we will have their backs. So it says here, by involving the General Assembly as opposed to the divided 15-strong Security Council, Jordan and other Arab states were trying to engineer a clear public condemnation of Israel. A condemnation of Israel! No condemnation of Hamas! Painting its response to the Hamas attack as being in breach of international humanitarian law. Oh, is that all? That was an act of war. And it targeted civilians. The word humanitarian should never come out of these people's mouths and should never be a part of their rhetoric. These Jew haters. Humanitarian? Hey, Israel gave them time to get out. They told the civilians, get out, move south. If they stayed, well, you know, that's on them. Because you know, that Hamas hides rocket launchers. They hide areas of attack among the civilian population. They hide the stuff inside of mosques. And then when Israel takes out a mosque, because they know their intelligence tells them they're firing rockets from this thing, oh, they're attacking mosques. Oh, the hell with the mosques. The hell with all this. This is war, ladies and gentlemen. I talked about that last week from that war expert, Von Clausewitz. This is war. It's bloody. It's mean. It's ugly. But Israel was attacked first, unprovoked. So the response needs to be to the liking of the Israelis and in the best interests of the Israelis. 
not in the best interest of humanitarian toward the the PLO civilians, and wanting the, the UN wanting to get aid in there, piss on it. And the sooner that Israel gets this over with, the better. Thanks for joining me. Have a great week. You talk about race, crime, and politics. Some folks lose sleep over this, but not me. Because I sleep just fine on my Giza Dream Sheets and Pillow from my pillow, especially this new 2.0. If you haven't gotten yours yet, you are missing out. Just go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CLARK, at C-L-A-R-K-E, and save up to 66% off. The direct link is also available on my website, americasheriff.com. Get a great night's sleep so we can continue the fight. Friends, I want to thank you for listening to today's episode of Straight Talk with yours truly, America Sheriff David Clark. And a special thank you also goes out to our sponsors. My goal, as always, is to break down these complex and many times controversial issues and bring it to you straight with a little dose of common sense, no media bias, no talking points, just truth. And this podcast would not be possible without your support. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite place to listen. And please share this message of common sense on social media. For more content, be sure to follow me on Truth Social, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And just a reminder, we'd love for you to join our Straight Shooters VIP Podcast Club for only $5 per month. And with that membership, you'll receive invitations to attend private podcast events throughout the year as a VIP guest when we come to your town. Plus, if you join today, you'll also receive a free coffee mug and a sample of our private label coffee as long as supplies last. Subscribe and join at America Sheriff. This podcast is brought to you by americasheriff.com with executive producer Judy Wilkinson of JL Wilkinson Consulting and producer Josh Wentz in partnership with our friends at Bulldog Media. If you are interested in partnering with Straight Talk Podcasts or having me speak in your area, please contact Judy at jlwilkinsonconsulting at gmail.com, 706-518-2116. That's jlwilkinsonconsulting at gmail.com. Phone number 706-518-2116.